of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 45, Loving the Small Stories. Welcome to the podcast. Today I have Exile. How you doing? Exile is here all the way from, well actually that's probably, okay, no. I should let Exile tell you where, yeah, where Exile's from. So we'll just do that. <laughs> Please, please enjoy this episode. This is an amazing thing to be able to speak to someone who's very far away from where I am. There's your hint as to where Exile is based in. So after that, we're going to react to a few different things that are happening right now. It is Saturday night of July 10th, so there's a lot going on, as you will find out after the interview's over. But for now, please enjoy this interview with Exile. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, Transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm so excited to have a fellow Melee podcaster on with me. We have Exile hailing all the way from Europe. Exile, thank you so much for joining me, and if you feel comfortable starting off with what country you're in, I don't want to dox too hard. Hopefully Europe wasn't too specific, but how are you doing today? <laughs> Hi, Cypher. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, I'm Exile. I'm based in Paris, France. So for those of for those of who who are wondering like what you prefer in terms of speaking in in English first of all I have to compliment you your English sounds very very good but at the risk of assuming too much like is that is that something that you've had to put a lot of practice into or is how is speaking a second language and doing a <laughs> what's going to be about an hour long interview like what do you think about that just off the top Thank you. Um, yeah, it's not that scary because I work in an English speaking environment and I did study English extensively. So at that point, I am able to talk for an hour in English. But I am a really different person in French and in English. So sometimes I just get a bit overwhelmed by what I'm saying and lose track of what I'm saying because it's not my native language and it's not my native personality. You have different personalities in different languages, which is super interesting, by the way, if you like psychology. Um, so yeah, as you can see, I already started going on tangents. That's what I do in English. <laughs> it gets better after a while. No worries. That's why we're here. It's a podcast. This is not, <laughs> if this were <laughs> any other medium, I would, I guess, stress about tangents or whatever, but like, I enjoy doing those as well. And this is the perfect space for that. So hope that you are just as excited as I am and all the listeners as well. So I wanted to start with your origin story for Melee and how you first were introduced to the game. You've actually written about some landmarks in your in your melee yeah. history which you shared with me which i appreciate so it was all the way back in 2015 for you but how were you like first exposed to melee um i grew up in a family that was very staunchly anti-video games so i pretty much discovered the existence of the gamecube when i was 20 years old <laughs> Um, so I came to Melee really late and I've never had this casual experience with any kind of video game, but especially not with Melee. I heard of Melee for the, well, for the first time, probably around 2014, um, my best friend played Melee competitively, but I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And then in 2015, I so I followed him a little bit more. I got a little bit interested in the game. And at the end of 2015, and I don't think you were expecting um, terrorist attacks to be involved in my Melee Origin story. 
Um, at the end of 2015, there were some terrorist attacks, uh, and I had to uh, leave my place to uh, to leave place to some people who had been directly affected. Uh, long story, but I had to go somewhere, and I had been talking with this melee player for a while, four hours away from my home, and I just texted him and said, "Hey, I'll." I'll be at your place in four hours. Can't wait to meet you. I knew he had a tournament the next day. And I was like, I'm going to go to your tournament. And that was actually my first tournament and the first time I actually played Melee, which was a complete coincidence. Um, and then from there, I don't know. The first, uh, This first day was completely random, completely unplanned, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I met amazing people. And I just kept going again and again for the next six years. But then it seemed as if pretty quickly you were starting to want to help out i'm sure that in that first tournament you discovered okay so there are people who have been playing for a long time and they're very very good and i'm very very new so did you immediately think to yourself that trying to be a better competitive player wasn't going to be your journey with melee that you would find another way to contribute to it just the same i think as a woman i had two different uh two different forces that uh that i was uh experiencing on one hand i wanted to get better i wanted to be a competitive player when i started and i was very much encouraged to do so by hordes of men who wanted me to be the good female player which is a lot of pressure and which discouraged me even more than if i had been completely ignored in the end um and on the other hand yeah i realized that I was good at TOing. I had some um, I had some skills for it. I was good at community management. I was good at pretty much everything that's not playing the game. So at the beginning, I wanted to play the game and it didn't take too long. As you're saying, it didn't take too long for me to realize that I was not gonna get good at Melee. I was not gonna catch up on all those people who had been playing for so long. But I could bring a lot to uh, a lot of things like my time and skills and passion to the community without having to actually hold a controller in my hands. But all the same, did you enjoy playing at least at the very least casually like friendlies and, and so on with people who you liked and they liked you like as compared to being yeah. in a bracket where you might not know the person as well they're looking to pop off at every opportunity and be like yeah <laughs> I want a tournament set Woo-hoo! Uh, I don't play a lot of friendlies. I don't play a lot of friendlies, but I like watching them and I do play it. Like, I do enjoy playing them, but I don't look for them. So before the before the pandemic specifically that's 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 one way for me to follow up on that question is like what would a typical tournament experience be for you in 2019 because by that time you had been involved for a long time so what would you do on the day of a tournament whether it would be like a, a larger sized regional or major or if it were a local yeah, so when I went to, let's take a major for example. So when I went to a major, usually what I do is I'd show up at the beginning of the tournament, uh, say hi to everyone. Probably it would take me about 15 minutes to be sitting behind the TO desk, <laughs> uh, even though I was definitely not on the TO team. But usually I volunteer as pool captain because I'm not going to play, so I might as well be pool captain. It allows me to talk to everyone. I have a lot of fun. And it also means that players don't have to bother with it and then I just I help out however I can so I tend to hang out a lot with streamers commentators, TOs, etc and with players but I'm just roaming around the venue all day basically and 
when you were feeling like you were fully settled into that, you decided that you also wanted to contribute just just in other ways as well, like trying to record French melee history in Liquipedia. And I yes, am, was just blown away by the thousands, it seemed like, of articles or pages that you've made for French melee history players and tournaments and so on. Like what drove you to do that and what makes you <laughs> continue to want to do that? So it wasn't thousands. I think I'm 600 in, <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is a relatively high number. Um, I don't know. You know, I saw Liquipedia and I saw all of those archives and all of this written history of melee that does not exist. So we have oral history of melee, which is extremely detailed. Everyone always has stories to tell about what happened in the community, what happened at this tournament 10 years ago, etc. And it's always so fun to, you know, just sit at a table, um, grab a burger or a drink with three players and you will always learn something new at every event. I've been here for six years and every event I go to, I still learn something new about the community 10 years ago. And uh, and this is something that I absolutely love. But also I was thinking it's a bit sad that it's all oral history and that it's going to be lost eventually at some point. So from there and having a close friend who is very involved in Wikipedia and myself wanting to improve my uh, my web skills in a way at the time. So that was in 2016, end of 2016. I think it was December. Um, I kind of realized that you could mix this interest for wikis and for recording history and the knowledge I had from all those people I was constantly talking to. And to actually have written written traces of everything that has happened in a French scene so that everyone who's interested in the French scene can just go there and look. And uh, I did that through Wikipedia. I had a blog too, so I wrote this history of HF Land, for example, which is our longest running major series. I know other people in other countries did this and it's something that I don't feel like we've had that much. Like, I'm not very involved in the US scene, I have to be honest, but I haven't really seen that about the US scene. So when I see, for example, an example is Jim Morrison, who is Dutch, and he writes a history year by year of the Dutch community, which is such a good read, and I highly recommend it. Um, I believe we have a German player as well, Schlim Shady, who has been um, doing videos about the ja uh, the history of Melee in Japan when he was over there, etc. And we've got this recorded history that is getting better and better. In the US, I don't really see this. Um, so I don't know. But again, in the US, it's a bit different because you have all those smashboard posts and all the documentaries coming out and everything. So you don't necessarily need to get this all written down because you're the center of the world, basically. <laughs> Everyone knows what happens over there. Um, but yeah, for us, it was really a need to to record this before it got forgotten and to also showcase what we've done because so many people do not know that Melee is a thing in our countries. Um, a, a, an example, for example, uh, an example, for example, yeah, sure. Uh, an example from a few years ago. <laughs> was when uh so this american player came to france um and he was walking down the street with a few people um who are top players in france right i think he was with like maya and baxon and foster or something like that like people that are big names in france at least 
uh, top players in France, top commentator, etc. And uh, people recognized him on the street and they had no idea Melee was even a thing in France. They were like, oh my god, I know you from your stream. I'm a huge fan. And they didn't even know we had a competitive scene. So writing about it is also a form of being able to share and being able to show people that this is not just a US project. And it's also why I do the EU Melee News Report, uh, which I guess we'll be talking about later on. It's really documenting the existence of those scenes and its detailed history, not just the fact that it exists, uh, but also the fact that it has existed for a long time and that there's a lot to tell. And it's not just some kind of secondary scene. You know, you were talking about how you don't follow the U.S. melee scene a whole lot. You are obviously aware of it. And for better or worse, uh, speaking as an American, I am (laughs) trying to walk this line very carefully that, yes, the, the melee that people pay the most attention to is in the United States, is in North America in general, uh, because we have amazing competitors in Canada as well. But if it's unfortunate just because of how even with rollback, it's still hard to unite the entire world into like one, one melee space. And the expectation since the beginning has always been for international competitors to travel to North America to compete. So mm-hmm. that being said, what you said about how you pay less attention to that and you're trying really hard to document, to show respect and love to how melee flourishes and thrives in places like France, Germany, Britain, and to record all of it or to do different ways to document what has happened and record stories, it makes me think of how, for myself, I tend to follow along, and you probably got this impression in some way, but like this is intentional for me. I intentionally try to follow along with like smaller stories, like less known storylines with Melee especially. It's not a disrespect sort of a thing where I'm like, I don't want to watch along with the most popular streamers and hang out in their Mm -hmm. chats because like, I feel like it's almost as if I feel like they have enough attention. (laughs) I could just like focus on on smaller things. It's exactly that. I think, I I don't know if it's a, if it's a French, it it might just be a French thing. We, we don't like uh, authority and power, but uh, the, revolu- the revolutionary people that we are. Um, when Metagame came out, for instance, we absolutely loved the idea of Metagame and everything, but I remember there being some kind of mild disappointment that was again about the five gods. It's nice, you know, it's nice that we have storylines and we have those six people, um, the five gods in Leffen, who are like super established and they have really interesting stories, etc. But I think there is a need to just showcase people who we forgot about because there are just five people, six people that we focus on all the time. And of course, they're the most known ones and they're probably the best ones. And they're super interesting. And now, of course, you have the new generation, you have Zane and everything. But um, it's always the same people. And there's so many people who might not be exactly as good, but who have just as rich stories that have never been told before. And that's super interesting. And I'm glad that you feel like, oh, I want to try to capture that. Because like you said, if, it, if, if somebody doesn't care enough to do that, then it sort of disappears. But uh, one of the questions that I was thinking of as we're talking about this is, who or what region would you love to see someone like Samox or another documentarian try to come in and make 
a full length documentary about? I mean, I'm not going to say France. <laughs> well, you could. <laughs> um, I could, but it would be extremely self-centered. Um, although I do think there's a lot to do about France. The thing with Europe is that we are a lot of different scenes that don't necessarily have this whole... I mean, the US has this easy East Coast, West Coast dynamic where it's easy to build storylines, etc. And countries in Europe don't necessarily have this kind of interaction. We, we do have interactions. I remember some tournaments where it was like, oh, England and Norway, or uh, I don't know, Germany and the Netherlands, and Sweden and rest of the world. And Sweden, Netherlands has been a big storyline, etc. But it's it has never been like two entities really fighting it. So it, it, it might not make for great storytelling on a continental scale. Um, many, many cities in Europe have such an interesting story. And many countries as well. Um, yeah, I do think France is really interesting because our power kind of shifted. So a few years ago, all the top players and all the top community figures were in Lyon, which is, uh, well, south-ish East France. And after that, they kind of all moved to Paris at the same time. So the, the power dynamics really changed and the whole center of activity really changed inside the country. I feel like Germany has had pretty much the same. Um, I'm also biased towards the Netherlands because I have read this history of Melee in the Netherlands, which is just so interesting. But then again, I feel like if people in other countries were writing the same kind of stories then I would be just as in invested in the stories of other countries so right now I would say probably the Netherlands is it's a small country so it's relatively easy to see it as one united scene France is a bit more fragmented into regions yeah I, I would like to watch a documentary about the Dutch history of Malay for instance I think that it's a little bit of an unfair question to you now that I've heard you answer it because I think to myself, <laughs> Europe, on the one hand, could be covered as as a whole because yeah, you it's a like I always underestimate that like I always think to myself, oh, Europe's like a really really huge continent when relatively speaking, I mean even compared to North America, it's not like that much bigger in terms of like landmass size. Yeah. I think you can compare it to North America. Like New York players will fly to California for a tournament. It's not going to happen all the time, but it's going to happen. Everyone's going to go to Genesis. Right. And for us, the equivalent would be Air, for instance. But all of Europe is going to fly there. Um, Europe is, in terms of melee, more like one big region, one big country, than uh, such a set of different countries. And that's it's why it's, it, it would be possible for somebody to cover the, like Europe as a whole. But then I feel like that the smaller things would get missed out on regional players that never really get to travel or, or those kind of storylines would be missed because the temptation would be the storyline of Armada and then the storyline of Leffen. And now the storyline of the same circuit, which is really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. North America, I'm looking at you. And it would be... <laughs> It would be awesome to see those kind of storylines. But then I feel like also yeah. smaller things get lost out on. And that's probably just the nature of anything, anytime, anywhere you want to cover something. Most of the people will be interested in who's at the top and who's yeah. like, shaking and baking the most moves. That 
makes sense to me. But I, I think do. If I were if I were to write or shoot uh, a video about the history of EU melee, I wouldn't go on top players as much as on tournament organizers. Yeah, um, that would be all. I mean, yeah, Europe is so much more grassroots, and we know that our top players. Well, obviously, you have Armada, you have Leffen, and then you have this new wave of top players today, and you have also historic ones. We have Triff, we have Amza, etc. But um, there's so much more to say about our series of tournaments and how everyone has been involved in them because an entire continent will travel to a tournament, and that is incredible. And there's a lot more to say about this than about actual players, I feel. Although I've seen that in the US too. I'm saying that, but um, I believe it was turned down for Walt who did this uh, documentary about Apex 2015. The most so recent one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so th there's kind of a shift that I'm hoping to see more of from following top players' careers to following moments that define the community's history. I thought that documentary was great because it did it did focus on on the storylines of the top players, but it also covered a little bit, or I felt like a good amount of the behind the scenes stuff. How much, how much people like Nintendo and Matt Zeb and Scar, like all, all the people behind the scenes involved, had to try to actually make that tournament yeah. still happen. Like finding a venue in within twenty four hours. And uh, it you, is know, you know this better than the me. best thriller I've seen in years. <laughs> like, how did they swing? The, well, Twitch, heroes, apparently, but absolute heroes. Exactly. Exactly. One person that I wanted to ask you about. This is the only French player that I am like, I know a little bit about because I read McKenzie's twit longer about retiring from Melee. And it was it was interesting to read like his account of going through the French melee scene and trying to become a better player and going through periods of like backing off and then trying to go all in again and and now more or less putting down the controller and just sticking with coaching at Poiland Software. Yeah, that is that is really the only French play like French melee player that I am like specifically aware of. I would love it if you could either tell me a little bit more about McKenzie or tell me about uh a French melee player that you love watching and like why I should go try to find a set or two of theirs on YouTube. Okay. Um, let's start with McKenzie. So McKenzie has been playing since the release of the game. And I think there was this whole thing about how he had some family in the U S who bought the game before it even came to France. So he literally started before everyone else. And he started competitively from the start. And I am. Um, there are some really old school players in France who I'm thinking of Baxon, for example. Um, Baxon is this old school player who really made history in France. And when he started in, 20, that was, uh, in 2006, he went to McKenzie's place and got four stuck in an entire afternoon. And that was his first contact with competitive melee already at the time. Uh, McKenzie has been there forever. He's been there and gone. He's not necessarily the most um, active in the French community, as in he's an active French player. But if I were to talk about people who have actually represented France, um, well, the first person I would talk about is actually not a player. Well, he is a player, but it's mostly a commentator, and it's Foster. Oh, so I think Foster, I've heard that name before. Yeah, Foster is arguably 
the most well-known commentator in Europe. He's definitely made European history. He's a walking meme and he's a really good commentator. And if, yeah, if you haven't seen him before, he's he's extremely French and his commentary is extremely French. So he commentates in English. I think he was flown to a tournament in the US at some point. But if you look at any major you will in Europe, I mean, you will usually have him commentating top eight. Um, I highly recommend listening to his commentary because it is iconic. I'm sure I've heard his commentary like many, many times <laughs> without actually having realized it. Probably. If you hear a French accent, then it's faster. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of players, um, two two players that I can think about right now, they're the best two players in France at the moment, I believe, uh, are Maillet and Raoul. Um, Maillet has been playing since, I don't know, the 2009, maybe 2010. Something like that. So he's the best player in France. He's a Marth. He's a really, really clean player. Highly recommend watching him. Tech is a historic player. So he has mostly retired now. But in 2015, he beat uh, a dream hack. I don't remember who he beat. Was it Duck? Was it Plup? Was it someone else? He beat someone good. He's a Puff. And he is. he was for a while the second best Puff in the world. Highly recommend watching him. Um, extremely aggressive play style, um, which is really interesting for a puff player. Um, and apart from that, yeah, Raoul Raoul is a fun uh, is a fun one because in 2016 he was voted a rising star of the French melee community, and then in 2020 he was voted rising star of the French community. <laughs> so he's just <laughs> he just keeps improving, <laughs> and. Um, and yeah, he is. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Uh, he's a fox player. Um, he gets some. Uh, he's gotten some really nice uh, wins during the same circuit, and I'm really excited to see where he goes next. So, if you were to watch VODs, I would say well, McKenzie is the staple. You've mentioned him. Uh, Maye definitely. Raoul for sure. Baxon is a favorite of mine, so he is mostly retired now. He was the best player from 2014 to 2016 in France. Uh, he's a Falco. He has won a legendary money match with PPMD, um, which you can watch somewhere on YouTube. Um, really, really good Falco. Um, and then I'm forgetting someone who I mentioned like five minutes ago. I'm so sorry. Uh, oh yeah, and then Foster on commentary. Yeah, so well, that thank gives you for you a little, uh, that. That's that's yeah. That'll yeah. give me enough to <laughs> that'll give me enough to get started <laughs> on. And I know where I can go for when I'm like I've gone through all of the top French players. I need more. No, uh, I don't know how far <laughs> I'll get, but I definitely need to at least look up a few things. So I wanted to then ask you to get back more onto yourself about how at some point here in. I want to say around 2018 you or 2017 moved to Ireland and like 2016 what the, yeah 2016 oh 2016 my bad like what was the like you can either talk about what what surprised you the most about just going from France to Ireland or or what spurred that or a memory that you have <clears throat> a memory that you have of that time yeah um France is a fairly big community 
on the European scale, European scale, sorry. Um, it's a big country. It has a lot of people. And then I went to Ireland, which is just a tiny island. <laughs> there's not a lot of people there. And the Malay community was tiny. And it was in one city. And I, I just, I just remember going to the first, uh, to the first weekly there and meeting everyone. And when I say meeting everyone, I mean, I mean, I met the entire country, right? Um, in one evening, because <laughs> it was it was thirty people in one room, and it is such a different vibe. And I sincerely believe that the Irish melee players are the sweetest and nicest community I have ever met, because there's not a lot of them. They all know each other. They've been friends for years, and they are extremely welcoming because they can afford to be really welcoming because. They will notice when someone new joins them. And I think that was what really surprised me the most was just the, the feeling of friendship and solidarity from day one with this entire country, this entire community of people uh, who are just extremely united in one community and in one... So I was going to say in one country. It's Ireland, so on one island... It's one island that is extremely united and extremely... Yeah, it's, it's just a lot of solidarity and a lot of sharing, a lot of cheering for each other that uh, you don't necessarily see in any other country because if you look at France, for example, you're going to have crew battles um, and a lot of rivalry between northern France and southern France and eastern, etc. In Ireland... I don't know. It was just this one group of absolutely amazing people who were just sharing everything and who were just sharing resources because they're a tiny scene. They were a tiny scene. They've grown a bit since then. And they have much better players now as well. Um, but the mood is definitely still the same. Um, yeah, it, I think it's what surprised me the most when I moved to Ireland was just to, to see that this small community was not just small because when I when you think small community you might think dying community and that was not it at all this was the most vibrant group of people playing melee that I have ever met even though they were in small numbers and it was amazing and this is something that you've written about and also talked about the sense of like building a a melee community that wants to support each other so what yeah. to you is a really important part of building that community <sighs> I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Um, as I've said, I'm not a player. Um, I'm not a player. The only reason why I'm into Melee is the community. So, of course, the community means everything to me. When you want to build a community, you want to make sure that everyone is welcome, that everyone finds a place. Uh, everyone feels like they belong in a way or another. Not everyone has to be a player, but everyone has to have a role. And I think that is the most important part. When you see someone new come to your tournament, um, you welcome them and you give them something to do. And if they go 0-2, well, they're probably going to go 0-2 because it's their first event, right? Just give them something to do and keep them busy and make sure that they actually meet people and that they have a good time and that they know that there will be a place for them if they choose to do more. I think that's just that's just the key because around this you can build so much to improve your community and to improve your sense of belonging, etc. But if you don't have this one core, it's not going to go anywhere. If you 
get this done if you get comfortable with this and you have those people who all feel like they belong I feel like everything else is going to come rather naturally so there's going to be a lot of different um different initiatives there's going to be traveling together to tournaments as groups so different communities I've been part of were always syncing their their uh their travel and their airbnbs etc when going to tournaments but it doesn't like you don't share an airbnb with people you don't like and it always starts with having making friends in the community and making sure that the friendship goes beyond melee that's very well put there's not really a whole lot that i can add to that because you 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 did manage to cover i feel like a really really good chunk of like what's so important and what somehow gets <laughs> captured by a lot of different melee communities but i yeah. i do want to ask what is the largest or the most people in one room kind of a space you've been in where you felt like that was still there in a melee sense if it was if it were an h flan or or, or, or h wait hold on did i get that right h flan <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i would love to promote h flan uh right now but I have to be honest and say that HFLAN is the second biggest event with this sense of community that I've ever been to because the biggest one was clearly Air 5. Um, so Air 5 in uh, in England was just... There were, I think, 800 people, 700 people, something like that. So the largest um, European tournament to date... I believe, which has sold out in like three days, which at the time was absolutely crazy. And we were just all in this big top tent and there were 700 of us just yelling together with all the countries represented. And oh, yeah, I don't, I don't have words for this. I just remember being there and just looking around me and being like, oh my God, this is why I'm in the Melee community. This is why I love these people so much. It, it meant the world to me that that one weekend especially and I can't wait for Air 6 which uh, should happen sometime um, yeah I think the biggest event I've ever been to where I felt part of a community where I felt like everyone around me was sharing this one passion and everyone around me was a friend even the people that I did not know were friends it was Air 5 I have heard a lot about the Air series in terms of just like American players or American personalities. Like Toph, I think, has, has talked about this where it's like yeah. Air 5 was an amazing experience. Yeah. And so if, okay, so if it were that many people, there were people from, there were people from North America and like you said, every country in Europe represented. Yeah, so. I think we had maybe 20, 20 American players. And by American, I mean America's uh, not just the U.S. Right, from Canada and then, yeah. I, yeah, we I also had none, so, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. So, like, mm -hmm. even still, like, I, I, one of the challenges I imagine there being is just, is, is, is the language barrier, but it seems as if European Melee does make a somewhat concerted effort. And I've talked, I talked with Kemor about this, about Yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah, of like kind of uniting behind a, a common language so that uh, everybody can feel a little bit more connected. Like it's sort of difficult when you have a Germany based tournament, but now we're all online. So now players from neighboring countries and even as far away as Britain or wherever in Europe 
are going to enter yeah. because of rollback. So having a united, sorry, having a common language like English to go behind is very cool. But one of the things that I thought of or that we talked about was just kind of lamenting that like the the the, the first language, the native language gets lost a little bit. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I took notes during that podcast because I entirely agreed <laughs> that um, native language commentary is sorely lacking in especially in the past few years. I remember when I joined in 2016, it was common to have commentary in French. And then that kind of completely disappeared because all commentary started being in English because we wanted to have the international audience, blah, blah, blah. And also it's easier, you know, to create a content in English because even though we're not native English speakers, all the resources pertaining to Melee, they're all in English because most of them are made in the US. So our vocabulary, when we commentate some melee, has to be in English. All the technical terms are in English. They're not in French. So it's actually easier at this point to create more content in English. Um, I don't know about the other countries, and I don't feel like this has been the case in other countries, but it has definitely been the case in France for the past three or four months. And even, okay, let's say since the beginning of the pandemic, we actually started having this move back to French content, which I'm really excited about. So resources are still mostly in English, but we're translating in a lot of stuff. We have some people who have started making tutorial videos, etc. in French, which are usually just ripoffs of existing English videos, but making it accessible to so much more people. Um, we have this one French video maker, Brunel, who has been making documentaries about the five gods and Leffen, and those documentaries got... Um, well, the the people in the documentaries watched those documentaries as well because they have English subtitles. But even in French, this was picked up by a major sports newspaper. And I think he has like half a million views on all of those from so many people who were never involved in English content. We've really seen a wave of people who for once are not coming through English content. So what I was saying earlier about people knowing American players and knowing Millie from American players and American streams and not knowing that there's a French scene, this is changing. Now people are coming to the scene and they don't speak English, which was not the case before the pandemic and before Bernal's documentaries. So now we're kind of moving back to it. And uh, since literally yesterday, <laughs> Yesterday, we did our first official French restream of the European Weekly. So this is this is a new initiative where we're doing this restream and we're giving a chance to all the beginner commentators who only speak French or who mostly speak French or who, who are just French, you know, um, and actually getting some content in French and uh, supporting our national languages and making sure that everything is accessible to everyone in all countries and not just to the ones that are lucky enough to speak English well, especially in countries like France. Um, and no offense to our neighbors, but same for Spain and Italy. Like France, Spain, and Italy are the main offenders. We do not speak English. We are bad at English. And having content in our own languages changes everything about that. Uh, probably more than the Germans, the Dutch, or the Swedish, who naturally, well, not naturally, they just have better um, school systems, but they speak English way better than we do. And uh, yeah, in our countries, I think there is currently a push that we used to, so we used to try and do everything in English to appeal to an international audience, to uh, be the cool kids on the block, to share the resources. 
And now we're moving back to a more national, more French-based approach. But this is this is also mostly online. This is for local tournaments, etc. Because the day we go to a major, we will need to communicate with all the other players. And you can't do that in French because we're from 27 different countries. Even more than that sometimes. Um, let's say 30. We're from 30 different countries. We have like 20 different languages represented at every major. We have to have a common language, and that common language is going to be English because, well, because first of all, that's how it is in the entire world, um, but also especially in melee, where U.S. melee and, to a lesser extent, Canadian melee are the most represented. It's always going to be the lingua franca um, of having English. So we'll see how that goes when offline resumes. When tournaments are done online, we still have to communicate in English. We still do things in English by default. But I am really, really excited about this uh, current shift to more local language-driven content. And it's never something that I'll be able to like access myself. But I'm so excited that there is something like that for France and then for hopefully for, for other countries in Europe as well, where, like you said, when you are speaking your own language that really does change a lot and it makes it oh yeah it just makes it easier for someone who doesn't feel comfortable speaking english like you like speaking a second language is like i took two years of french in high school and i've forgotten most of it now because it's been long enough but the point is is that i never felt comfortable speaking it and it was very hard to even keep up with understanding somebody else speaking yeah. french and mm. reading was a disaster so the point is is that if you gave me two years, which is a decent amount of, of learning in there, not being in a French speaking environment, that would have obviously helped. But like if I took two yeah. years of that and then went somewhere in France and I was supposed to all of a sudden just be able to make my way, of course not. Yeah. Like I just shut down. Um, I would hide yeah, in the corner absolutely. somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> And the level of English in the melee community is very different from the level of English in the general population. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. A, a lot, a lot of people, especially in the French melee community, because again, uh, Southern Europe, we're not necessarily the ones who are best taught to speak English in school. A lot of us actually learned English at melee tournaments and got our practice at melee tournaments. And I see so many people who did not speak a word of English when they started melee and who are almost fluent today exclusively from Smash and from having to communicate with opponents at tournaments that's yeah that's i mean that wait that's pretty cool actually yeah it's super cool <laughs> i mean even if it's also feels like it's like a you have you have to gatekeep in two ways you have to gatekeep in terms of skill and gatekeep with the language that that does kind mm -hmm. of suck but like for those who are able to overcome both of those obstacles i mean that's you know kudos to those people and i guess yeah. would you say you're in that group a little bit or did you have a pretty good grasp of english when you first started Oh, my English was definitely good enough when I started playing. I think it has improved with time from doing a little bit of commentary, from talking a lot to a lot of people all the time, every day. Um, I was already fluent before uh, before starting Melee, but it's not definitely not the case for everyone. And I'm just so glad that, like, again, it's not just you, but other people who are saying, you know what would be really cool if we, if we did this in, you know, like our actual own language. So that's really cool yeah. to hear that even I want if, to hear more Dutch and German commentary. <laughs> and like I was saying, like like Kemor and I were saying, it was like some some really hype moments don't have to be in your native language for you to understand 
like how yeah, awesome you were it talking is. about this spanish clip i think mm-hmm. yeah 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 but like mm-hmm. i would love to like i mean i haven't seen it because i haven't tried to search super hard for it but like how cool would it be if in the past it were like one of the beast tournaments and Leffen is beating Armada perhaps for the first time or, or the first three yo against Armada or whatever it is. And it's just in Swedish or it's in or wh- wherever yeah. Beast is held. I don't actually know off of the top of well, my head. Well, I think I can go for a little spoiler. This is something that I discussed yesterday with someone. So it's not confirmed, but scoop. Uh, we might have, we might have two streams at HFLAN. Uh, one in English and one in French. We'll see how that goes, if logistically it's possible, but we would love to have a French stream and an English stream at the same time on the main stage. That would be really cool. To have two different feeds. Yeah, it would be amazing. (laughs) That would be awesome. Okay, so when it comes to the pandemic, and we talked about this a little bit, but the, the rollback melee making it a lot more possible to play longer distance for French players to play with german players and swedish players to play with italian players and so on and it feels to me especially in 2021 that there was a really big effort to say europe we are going to have our own little tournaments that happen here and there and that is all fine and well but we are going to unite under the same circuit to promote cross-country play to promote continental play with one another and we're going to have a point system we're going to do all this kind of stuff but when rollback first dropped in june of 2020 uh, it probably started with uh, one or two people saying hey we should do this and then the momentum builds but what do you remember from the from the early days of rollback netcode and and learning about it and then going this this could lead somewhere were you involved in that process or did you just say i will record as much of this as i can because there's a lot happening right now um i remember when it dropped and everyone was playing all the time and we hadn't played for three months and we had just been in isolation for three months uh we had been most of Europe had not legally been allowed to leave their home for the past two months and then Slippy dropped and everyone's like, oh my God, my life is back on track. And everyone started playing a lot. Uh, And that was an amazing moment. And I think um, really, really quick, we had our first local tournaments. And the first event that we had that was EU-wide was probably Isolation. Um which is a um, mildly funny pun on um, ISO. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to pronounce that in English, ISO. Uh, in isolation. Um, I was very proud of it when I came up with it, and then it just kind of fizzled out. <laughs> but isolation was this first circuit that we had where every country was doing its own tournament already at the time. And we said, hey, let's just have two or three people from each country. And each country decides on two or three people to send to a tournament. And we organized this first actual EU-wide tournament. And that was, I don't know when it was exactly. It was probably sometime in the summer of 20. Well, I mean, it was definitely sometime in the summer of 2020. And that was the first time we thought, hey, like rock ball um rollback sorry uh rollback is not uh just 
some kind of way to make up for the lack of offline tournaments, it's actually going to allow us to do things that we weren't able to do before. And at that time, yeah, we organized that and we organized uh, the charity event uh, for Black Lives Matter um, during the George Floyd protests. And it was both of them were EU wide tournaments um, and having a charity tournament was not something that we could ever have done offline because you have to pay for the venue, you have to pay for the staff. There's so many costs. You can't we don't make profit from it to begin with. So we don't give anything to charity because we're already losing our money as TOs. And then we were making this and we were realizing this is such a huge change. Now we can actually do something good for society at large. We can do things that we've never done before, i.e. organize events that are across Europe and that don't depend on how much money players have. And if you're completely broke, if you're the poorest player in the world, you can still play the game and you can still win the tournament if you're good enough. And that was just... Yeah, that was a huge, huge shift. And then it led to creating same when... Um, so that was mostly Kohn in Ryukyu. And if there are two names that you want to remember from the European uh, melee scene in your entire life, it's going to be Kohn and Ryukyu. So Kohn is the head TO for Air. And Ryukyu is the person who manages Smash Europe. Uh, the Twitter account, the website, the calendar, etc. And those two, they had this idea, which was absolute genius, of the same circuit so that people would be safe and people would be able to keep playing and to feel like one European community and not just your local Discord doing this little bracket every week, but having some actual majors, having some actual events with some actual... Um, I don't know, s s suspense and storylines and... Tuning stakes. in and knowing that something... Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Stakes. That's <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> That's the one I was looking for. Uh, yeah, having stakes, like a high stakes event where you just tune in and you know something really cool is going to happen for two days and there's going to be professional production and everything. And that was... Yeah, that has really transformed um, EU Melee. And I'm really curious to see how it continues when offline resumes. So I'm assuming that when offline resumes, we'll have... This period where online will be completely dead for a little while because everyone's going to be just so happy to go back to offline tournaments and see their friends and meet people that they've been friends with and that they've been playing with for a year and a half, two years. Um, and then after that, I think there's going to be this really interesting mix. And I'm really curious to see how, where, where this leads. Because there's no denial in the fact that when you run an online bracket, like you said, you're not paying for a venue and you're not paying for security. Yeah. And there's just like... Oh, and, and the people who go don't have to pay for travel. So there is potential for online events to continue just as a cost-saving yes. measure oh, at, yeah, the, at the very least. Absolutely. You can just play, like come back from work or from school and play your tournament uh, from your from your couch and just go to bed directly after that. That's an amazing change. And especially also for some countries because some countries have a really hard time traveling. What we've seen recently is Greece, for example. So Greece is really isolated from the rest of Europe. And we have some players in Romania as well, etc. So all of Eastern Europe, basically, is not countries that we've really seen represented at offline events because traveling is really hard. It's really expensive. They don't necessarily have the same average salary as Western Europe, uh, European countries as well. So what might be um, a reasonable venue fee for France or for Germany is not necessarily going to be 
reasonable for Greece or Romania or Bulgaria. Um, and having online events could really change things for them. Like the Greece scene has really built itself from scratch. Well, not not from scratch, but from not a lot going on to an actual proper community. Portugal as well is a really cool community now. And they have they have all their players to do the crew battles in the uh, European wide events, etc. They would never... Ha- they had never had enough players at off, off, uh, offline events to do crew battles because it's hard to find so many people to have them be good enough to represent their country and to be able to travel as a group. So I think there's not only is it easier to organize tournaments, not only is it easier to attend tournaments as a random player, but it's also going to open the game to entire new communities. Russia also is an example. Russia, I don't think they've ever had the GameCube that that was yeah they never had the gamecube sold in russia and now there's a whole russian community that was just built from slippy from being able to play on a computer and now we're gonna see how it goes if they keep playing online or if they start going to offline tournaments and due to visas because they're not schengen area they're not european union it's probably going to be harder for them to travel as well so online tournaments are still going to be a staple for them and then if we want to go even further I don't know how that's going to go, but one thing that has been discussed and that would be absolutely amazing is having um, online qualifiers for some of those countries, from some of those countries that aren't really represented at offline tournaments usually. But you would invite um, top players from those countries that would not normally be able to afford the complicated travel, etc., and who would be able to then go to major tournaments like HF1, like Air, etc. Because um, we would pay for their travel the same way that until now we've paid for US players' travels because we wanted the celebrity factor. But it's probably more interesting to replace the celebrity factor of, oh, this this US top player is going to come to Europe and going to play, which is really cool, but also like they can play for their own flights. They're sponsored most of the time. Uh, and they're going to get the cash prize. Like, we need to stop inviting people for them to take our money. <laughs> this is my stance. <laughs> I'm sick of, inv- of paying for people's flights so that they can take my cash prize. <laughs> um, but people who wouldn't be able to normally afford going to tournaments, they should have more chance. And that's something that we can do with online tournaments is selecting the best player, the one who deserves to be in France or in England, etc., the most on that weekend, and then fly them out instead of paying three times that price for flights from Los Angeles. No offense to SoCal players. Okay, but here here's the other cool thing that can happen with that, and this is something that I didn't really think about, but this was on the most recent Melee... No, wait. Alston Melee podcast had one the other night. Mm-hmm. So this is on the second most recent Alston Melee podcast <laughs> where... They had on Jackzilla. And one of the things that they were talking about was how Summit is a power-up for players. For players who are a little bit less than top, top echelon of North American Melee, if you're not Zane or if you're not Mango. If yeah. you're someone that's a little bit further down and on the power-up, kind of like Aklo or LSD, those mm-hmm. players can go to 
a summit style tournament and play against top players for a few days or for half a weekend or, or half a week, excuse me, four days, I guess. So yeah. they can do that and they can power up. And then what happens when they're really good and they come back to their own communities, back to New York or Southern Carolina, hopefully the idea is because they're better, they can continue to help other players in that region yeah. get better as well. So just imagine a Russian player or a, how do you say Greece player? Oh boy. Greek. Gre Greek. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I forgot. So if you get a Greek player or a Russian player out to a, a tournament like Air, and then they go back, they're going to make their community better. So it just absolutely that's a great it's a it's a great mindset of just saying like it's cool to have over somebody like Lucky or somebody yeah. like IBDW, but also just as cool is growing the talent of the European melee scene. Including Entirely agree including areas that are harder to travel from and to it would be and, and it's obviously really cool to if you could have both in a perfect world but like in terms of picking one I, I'd, I'd i'd say a cultural shift if you would i'm in favor of that as a <laughs> as a typical american who has nothing to do with the <laughs> european scene i'm in favor of that just because i i would love to see the european melee scene continue to grow and mm -hmm. become more well, I don't think that the respect has ever been higher from my own perspective of how North American melee feels about European melee. I think that we have yeah. started to appreciate more and more how there are players that are definitely worth watching at at like noontime when most of the degenerates are still sleeping. <laughs> They'll actually get up and watch a European bracket, especially if one's on BTS Smash. And that's been really... Yeah. That's just a, a help right there, just to have it on a, a a place that a lot of people follow on Twitch in the first place. But anyway, I I say that if you try to grow the European melee scene as a as a whole by trying to have online qualifiers and inviting players who play well in their own region and having them power up with top players around Europe, mm -hmm. I think over the long run that's a better investment. I mean, that's my own feel on it. Entirely agreed. And it's not just flying players either. So one thing that I've seen with Grace as well, so they've put on their crew and obviously they're a really small scene. They were just starting out, etc. So in crews, they knew they weren't really they didn't really stand a chance. Um and then but then just the fact that they participated showed that they had more than five active players, which is already really good. Um, and then what Cone did um, is that he gave them free lessons at Cone's Academy, which is the, the big coaching academy with pretty much all the top players in Europe and some US-based top players as well. Uh, Ryo Beat, LSD are part of it and uh, probably a couple more Americans. Um and they, they do a lot of coaching and um, and I really commend the way that Korn just gave free coaching. So he gives free coaching out to pretty much everyone in amateur uh, who wins or does top placings at amateur brackets at same events and other events because he has also partnered with Get On My Line and um, Rollback Rumble this weekend. And... Uh, yeah, and he's also so he's also given out coaching to all of the Greek crew to help them improve. And then, as you said, you know everything that they learn in that kind of setting is things that they can bring back to their national scene and to their local scene. And it's really changing the whole face of Europe. Just the 
I'm just really impressed. Like just in general, I'm just really impressed with the sense of solidarity that has stemmed in the European in the European community since Slippy was well, Slippy Rollback was released, and since we've been starting playing online and opening the game to everyone, and not just the people who were already in active regions and the people who could already afford it. So yeah, good stuff. So <laughs> as we as as we start to wrap up, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the brackets from the big one, the Rollback Rumble event Ooh. that's happening because there are two Summit spots on the line. But I'm going to skip that because I want to go straight to Smash Summit 11 where hopefully Pipsqueak will be able to attend that tournament. That's a little bit up in the air for those of you in the know, for those who follow Pipsqueak on Twitter. It has been quite the yeah. journey. <laughs> uh, so you've read that too, Exile. Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Okay, so Pipsqueak hopefully Pipsqueak really, is there. Like, yeah, he... That kid deserves <laughs> to go to Summit after all he's been through recently. <laughs> Unbelievable. But the point is, is that we're a few weeks away and it's really exciting to think about Pipsqueak playing against the best of what North America has to offer for Melee. But from your perspective, how much of an impact do you think this this makes or, or any sort of impact it makes when Pipsqueak is able to hopefully go and also hopefully do well against North American players. I think I need to formally apologize to Pipsqueak for what I'm going to say now. Um, given the whole travel conditions, given the whole situation that's going on, given that I believe it's either his first time in the U.S. or one of his first times. It's one of. He he, he went to the yeah. last summit that was held in person as the coach he, for... He went as a coach, yeah. Yeah, for... Uh, but it is his first competitive experience in the U.S., I believe. I'm not sure. Um... I don't like I would be super happy if he performed really well and of course I'm going to root for him really hard. But if he doesn't it's okay because really all I care about is that he gets to experience and that he gets to improve in a way that he not doesn't necessarily get to improve when he's in Europe because it's always the same people. And the level is really high in Europe and I really think that he can definitely hold his own in a US bracket, but given the travel conditions and the jet lag and the then the whole pressure of COVID and of not knowing if you're gonna be able to go to the US and losing his luggage and everything. Um if he doesn't perform, I don't think anyone can hold it against him. And if he does, that's amazing because we know that he is capable of performing and we know that if he underperforms, it will not be it, it, it will not be a bad thing necessarily because the whole point is for him to go there and get that experience and get that play and show that um, that he's there. And if he does well, then good for him because he definitely deserves to do well. And he is arguably the second best player in Europe right now. Um, he's been doing amazing and he can keep doing amazing. And we'll see how that goes. But I don't want to put extra pressure on him right now. There is already a ton of pressure on Pipsqueak because of just of like trying to make it to Summit, dealing with yeah. all kinds of shenanigans. And yeah. I, all I, I and mean, now representing all of Europe? Uh, yeah, solely. I mean, if he, if he doesn't perform, I'm 
I'm really afraid that many people will go like, oh, look, Europe actually sucks because Pipsqueak doesn't perform. <laughs> like, Yeah, you, you come to our country and see how you perform in our country, surrounded by players from our countries. When you don't like when you don't speak your native language, uh, if you have um, if you have technical issues, you have nobody to help you. Um, administrative issues. I mean, you have nobody to help you. You're traveling overseas in the middle of a deadly pandemic. C come and see how you perform in at our place, and then shit talk Europe. <laughs> Exactly. We can't even go through all the things that Pipsqueak has gone in like a smack talk way because there are simply too many things to name. Yeah. Just like <laughs> it is insane. Just go and read Pipsqueak's Twit Longer. And that's actually a challenge to all the commentators for Summit 11. You don't need to pre-John for Pipsqueak. But at the same time, just little little tiny knowledge drops every now and again. If you read Pipsqueak's Twit Longer about your sorry Europe to to Mexico travels thus far. Just that alone yeah. should make you appreciate. <laughs> and new stuff has happened since then. Exactly. Exactly. It just gets more and more crazy. It's such a mess. So I'm really yeah, hoping I can't that wait for a summit in Europe where um, the American players, North American players, have to actually struggle to come to Europe to play. Then, then the tables will turn and we'll see who's the best. <laughs> so... I'm really hoping that Pipsqueak does well and and ultimately yeah. that like is able to to go and be able to like not <laughs> have constant constant pressure of just being like am I going to be feeling okay today? Yeah. <laughs> is everybody around me going to actually be healthy and not throwing up everywhere? Okay, so okay. <laughs> that 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 wraps up that yes. conversation. The last thing I wanted to ask you about you actually just touched on it a little bit. I had this question earlier, so, well, it doesn't matter. I, we can all think that I only thought of it because you mentioned it. Where would you like <laughs> to have a major, maybe apart from air, which is, okay, you said that's in Britain. So what place would you love to have a major where a lot of North Americans travel to a place like Stockholm or Paris or, or wherever to have a really big melee tournament? I mean, I have to be patriotic, patriotic here. Just, just come to Paris, come to the next Echafon, if, if sanitary conditions allow. Um, yeah, I would love to see some actual North American representation on more of our tournaments. And actually, like even without traveling en masse, if if it's if it just becomes a habit that most top players in the Americas come to Europe once a year for one tournament, any tournament, you know? And it can be different tournaments for different people because in Europe, our tournaments have completely different vibes. If you want to get wasted, go to air. If you want to do the whole esports thing, then you have HFLAN and you have DreamHack Rotterdam. If you want to, well, Phoenix Blue is kind of up in the air right now, but Phoenix Blue and Valhalla are the Nordic tournaments and they're amazing. Every tournament has its own vibe and every player has their own personality. And I, I wouldn't, I would never tell everyone go to this one tournament specifically. I would say if it just became a habit for all Northern American players, top players who can afford it, to try and spend one week or two weekends in a row in Europe once a year going to two tournaments, it would change the face of Melee in Europe. And it would also give everyone a chance to improve, including the US. 
And uh, yeah, I, I wish that would happen. I really wish it happened. It's not necessarily something that I feel like is going to be a, a quick sort of a deal, but uh, <laughs> that's I feel like I'm putting pressure on <laughs> on Leffen <laughs> by saying this, but it's like, I feel like there was a certain time period where it was almost as if, and I'd, I'm not as familiar with this, maybe you would be, but like, I thought that a few North Americans would go to a tournament or two overseas. I'm, I'm thinking specifically yeah. of a DreamHack event that Hungrybox beat Armada and that was Yeah, that big, was DreamHack Rotterdam. Yeah. Right. That was a big deal because that was like one of the first times that he had figured out armada's fox and that was like you know broke down crying that kind of that kind of thing but i was like oh that happened in europe and that's really cool that'd be really cool that just like having someone to go over to over there to play against because that is that definitely seems to be the attitude over here even for if you're in west coast and there's an east coast event Mm -hmm. you won't necessarily be interested unless that player is there or that echelon of players are there for you to go and challenge like okay i'm mango is zane going to be at that east coast major okay cool i'll Mm -hmm. go and play zane or vice Mm -hmm. versa that almost there almost needs to be that kind of a thing for a top player to sort of be like hey you want to come and try and beat me on my own turf kind of a thing yeah that i really hope happens in the future there's there's two things with that. The first one, yeah, Leffen. Um, especially, God, I feel so bad for Leffen with his visa issues again. Yep. And um, yeah, US players, if you're listening, please travel to Sweden. <laughs> please stop making Leffen go through this every single time. <laughs> Just come over. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing, I think there's this kind of vicious circle where a lot of top 100 players could come to Europe and have a nemesis in Europe. And they could have the amazing and healthy competition in Europe against European players, against top European players. But world rankings are based on US performance. Um... Europe has always been heavily underrepresented in the melee top 100. And maybe, maybe if they came over and saw the level, I mean, every time, every time a US player comes to Europe for a tournament, they end up getting upset. <laughs> um, it's al- almost always happened because the level is higher in Europe than you might think. It's we know that we don't have Zane, we don't have Mango, etc. But we have some really good players who are definitely, let's say, top 40 or 60 in the world, who, who definitely belong there and who even belong higher than that. We have Triff as well. We don't just have Leffen. Um, and yeah, it's a matter of coming over, playing against them, seeing that there's actually some people who beat you in Europe and then creating this rivalry which you can't really have currently because you because our european players can't really travel north american players can't really travel so they don't really meet each other and rankings don't really mean anything when it's outside of north america so yeah it's a bit of a complicated situation on that side but i think that if they were to come to europe and give it a chance and invest in one week in europe and also we have the nicest community we 
would house them for free for the week and they would be able to free play all week at top players houses in every country they would be able to visit all of europe uh, there's a lot of tourism to do etc um if they were to take this one week off and come over and visit and play they would go back home and know who they can try to beat and who they can fight against and then this this relationship would be created and then they would have incentive to come again but it's just this first travel which has to kind of come from nowhere or from personal will to to help out the different communities which yeah it's hard if that makes sense <laughs> it does make sense no you're you're touching on how complicated it is because this has been it's been like this from the beginning of how challenging it is like it really is a true test of of willpower to actually pay for flights and do 36 hour travel where you don't sleep and to get to a place that you're not really familiar with there's a language barrier there's all kinds of shenanigans in between and there are a million different ways it can fall apart and like mm -hmm. like we were saying earlier that's what pitch yeah, we've had to go through yeah just to be able to play melee and for a north american player the obvious temptation is I don't need to do that. But eventually I would love to, even as like a not, <laughs> I am not a top player. I am not even close to being a good player, but I, Come I over. would Paris is a nice city. Would we'll love to you. visit. <laughs> I would love to visit uh, like, like Europe in general. Like I would have an interest in going to just about anywhere in Europe. But like, yeah, the, the point is, is that it would be so cool to like see France. And for instance, since we're talking to you and I've always like, like you see, you watch movies and, and they're set in Paris or, or, or what have you. And they always talk about like the lights at night and that kind of thing. And I'm just like, but what's it really like? I would like to see it for myself. And so I hope to do that at some point. But for for the, the top echelon of players or even top 100 North American players, it would be cool to see as time goes on where eventually they just go, despite the fact that I have access to a lot of good competition around me, there is good competition to be had over there in Europe. And I've heard XYZ about this event and now I'm going to go and it's going to be fun. And then they'll just probably do it every once in a while for a long time after that. I, I, I think that first step is that you were talking about is definitely the most important one just to get out over across the pond. Yeah. Okay. So before yeah. we get you going here, I want you to tell the people mm -hmm. where they can find you and about, we didn't talk about your podcasting thing but we are, I am out of time, I should say. So <laughs> <laughs> the the European Melee re News Report is, is that, oh, I got the title yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, EU Melee News Report. Yeah, I need to find a catchier title. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. But for those of you who are listening or watching on YouTube, well, watching is a bit of a strong, it's, it's more of like listening. But the point is that'll be linked in the description of the podcast as well as where you can find Exile on Twitter and that sort of thing. But I want you to tell the people where they can find you anyway. But yeah. I also would like it, if you don't mind, to give out any shout outs that you want to give also in French if you want to. Okay. Um... Ooh, that's a lot to think about. Okay, so where you can find me is mostly on Twitter. I am extremely active on Twitter. Um, half English, half French. Sorry about that. Um, my tag is impossible to pronounce in English, so I'm going to say it with a French accent. Sorry, it's Lixen Sirac, which is my full name. 
Um, you can also find me by looking for EU Melee News Report on your favorite podcast manager or going to Exile's Melee Talks where I do the EU Melee News Report and a few bonus contents mostly about Melee history. The first one is Melee, uh, History of Melee in Finland on YouTube. That's where you can find me. You can also find me in pretty much every single European uh, Discord server. Uh, I'm way too online. <laughs> Um, outside of that, shout-outs. So, shout-outs in French, you said. Do they have to specifically be in French? So, if you don't want to do that in French, that is all no, fine no, no. well. No, okay. Okay. Um, alors, shout-outs à Kon et Ryukar pour la communauté européenne. Uh, merci beaucoup pour tout ce que vous faites. Vous êtes extraordinaire. Shoutouts à X1, la meilleure commentatrice d'Europe, of course. And shoutout au Discord um, EU Women of Smash et au Discord Queer, queer European Melee um, Place. C'est deux Discord incroyables avec une communauté merveilleuse. Et enfin, shoutouts à le French Melee. There, you have it all. I heard, I heard you saying that the, uh, the French Melee scene is extraordinary. Something yeah. like that? Yeah, I said shout outs to the amazing La French Melee community and uh and and server and to EU Women of Smash and Queer European Melee Place, which is Q E M P, which are two other Discord servers. And shout outs to Cohn and Ryuker for being uh incredible community figures in Europe and to X1 for being the best commentator in Europe. Is that not like the, the most beautiful thing that you've heard in possibly in this whole podcast <laughs> episode of French language? I want to say thank you one more time, Exile, for coming on to Bottom Smash Mountain and joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, everyone, pay attention to Europe. We're cool. Yes. C'est <laughs> magnifique. Super. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. See you soon. Thank you so much. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Woo, we made it. Okay, so there's just, wow, there is just so much happening in Melee at this very particular moment in time. There's just too much going on, but here's our, here, here are the highlights for you. Rollback Rumble, the big one, has a lot of stuff happening over the past week here, and they and tomorrow on July 11th. Now, most of you will not listen to this until after then, so you will know who the last two Summit players are for Smash Summit 11. You will you will know that by the time you hear this. So who is it? Can you tell me? Like, can you somehow go in the past? Okay. Now, the other thing that's happening is tonight on July 10th, Ham Yojo and the rest of the Beyond Melee team unveiled Beyond Melee. So... This is just insane. It's basically what most people talk about where they go, man, I wish there was P+, Project Plus, but in Melee form. Now, there are a lot of differences. It's not like they tried to put PM into Melee, but rather they tried to come into the space of thinking, what if we did changes to characters and added in new characters based entirely on the competitive metagame and adding to that not necessarily trying to come up with super cool concepts and ideas and then figure out how to make it competitively viable but have the vision for 
modded melee being let's do the competitive meta justice. So aside from tweaking characters and adding in new characters like Raichu and Shadow Mewtwo, yeah, and Skull Kid. Hello, Skull Kid. And also this Star Fox character I've never heard of before until today, so can't remember that name, but there are new characters. <laughs> and there are also stages that are either ones you've seen before from other Smash games that are in here, or they're original, adapted, whatever you want to say. There are a bunch of stages that are all competitively viable, because of course that's the whole vision for Beyond Melee. It's rollback netcode compatible, so that's also really cool. You will be able to play it on rollback, although it's not going to work for unranked queuing. I mean, come on, you can't pull up a you can't pull up an insanely modded game and expect your wolf. Oh yeah, that's right. Similar to Team Kenya, by the way, not affiliated. The Beyond Melee team and the Team Kenya group, yeah, those collectives are not technically affiliated with each other. I guess I would have to say because they referred to Team Kenya during the pre presentation, but we're like, yeah, this is our wolf. <laughs> So you can't expect your Skull Kid to queue up with a random person who's playing as Fox. They'll be like, what? Well, the game wouldn't, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Okay. All this to say, we were all excited about how awesome Team Akania's presentation of Wolf and Volleyball and other things were. Beyond Melee has been in development for a year or so leading up to the announcement and also simultaneous release of this project. You can play it right now. That's right. And people were already playing it tonight on Saturday night of July 10th. So that's fun. Playing it on stream. That's fun. Hey, that's cool. I, that's the whole point. Drop it like it's hot. Even, it, even though the developers were saying it wasn't like 1000% ready, but they'll keep working on it of course <laughs> the project does not stop now <laughs> especially not now they also added in stuff like ledge grab limit and they tried to tweak the stages like battlefield for instance instead of it being the traditional ledge where you can bonk your head it's kind of more like final destinations and they also fixed the ledges on the other version of Battlefield where you can bonk your head, but there's not that weird thing where if you're close but too close but not close enough, your other grabbing detection area will cause you to not grab the ledge and th those kind of weird little things. And by the way, just as I learned about all the weird things that Battlefield does to people, thanks to Awesome Sauce's video about it, you should go check out Awesome Sauce on YouTube, A S U M. S-A-U-S. That's right. I know how to spell it now because I've seen it enough times. Now that I've seen it enough times, I know how to spell it. Just go check that out. And now that I've learned about all the weird things that Battlefield does, then somebody comes in and says, oh, by the way, one of the many things that we did with Melee while we were modding it and tinkering, we made all those things moot. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Like like the time where Team Kenya back in January or February, I think it was, of this year, dropped Wolf and Volleyball, this is not going to be something that gets immediately added into the meta. I will be interested to see what happens in the coming years, but as this continues to take form and evolve and become really good, there already seems to be a lot of talented people working on it, including people from PM, like Project Plus. That's really cool, too, at least as consultants. This 
probably will not be competitive. Sorry, it won't be accepted in a tournament setting other than, hey, this is a Beyond Melee event. There's going to be Beyond Melee, so expect to do Beyond Melee in the same way that there are Wolf side events. Like there was a Wolf side event for Rollback Rumbles, the big one, for instance, and all that other kind of fun stuff. I don't think that we're going to see for a long time the concept of, hey, Mango, hey, Leffen. Yeah, so Battlefield's going to look a little different for your Genesis 20 matchup. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I don't know what exactly is going to happen of all this, but at the very least, putting new content into Melee is going to draw in more people. Oh, one of the other things they did. Right, right, right. This was a big one. Auto L canceling and tap jump can be turned off. So for those of you who are like, wow, there's a lot of training wheels. Wow, you're making it like super easy i mean (laughs) some people need to learn discipline in order to play melee and make it the fun but hey (laughs) the other side of that is the more accessible and the less skilled training that a player has to do to learn how to play melee and become good at the game for the long run that's great in terms of adding casual players And by the way, casual players make up the vast majority of a fan base, of a player base. And if there are a lot of people who like playing beyond Melee, but don't really like playing regular Melee, how about this? Maybe they enjoy playing beyond Melee and they like to enter in beyond Melee events as they come up, either online or in person at a major or what have you. But then that's the point. They're at that major. And then they'll learn to love watching regular Melee, the ones that... The one vanilla, well, it's not vanilla, is it because of UCF? That's kind of a mod, by the way. (laughs) There's going to be people that would not have been there otherwise. So this is really cool overall, and I love and appreciate all the work that's been put into it. Don't like a lot of the tweaks that have been made to existing characters, but that's not really my concern. There's going to be a lot of people who love the additional things that have been made on characters like Puff and Fox and so on. Yeah, that's right. They even tweaked Fox, not to make him more broken per se, but hey, you should just go check out their Twitter, and I assume there's a YouTube as well. Oh gosh, is there a YouTube? All that will not be included in the description of the podcast episode because you know what will be included in the description of the podcast episode? That's right. All the things that you need for Exile, who, one more time, thank you so much for coming on. Go to the description of the podcast episode to find links to Exiles stuff. So I think that's really all I have to say. I'll check my notes here to make sure I didn't forget anything. But really, the fact that a brand new modded version of Melee dropped, it was so fun just to see that happen live and to see how chat was really, really upset with some of the things. (laughs) And also saying... Nintendo's going to hear about this, that kind of stuff. It's just fun. Like, every time this sort of thing happens, it's, it's just fun. So, ah, there was one thing that happened that I feel is worth mentioning in the in this. So, some of you may remember there being a instance of Ludwig playing Melee on stream, playing unranked, and running into a player that Ludwig insisted was a cheater. Ludwig was saying, nobody can SDI like this. Nobody can do this, not consistently like this. This is this is tasks, this is 
modif modification of some kind, macro keys, something. And chat was like, okay, Lud, you're making excuses, you know, being Ludwig chat, which by the way is not ultra toxic. It's just, there seems to be this love hate sort of a thing that they got going on. So good for them. But somebody from the Slippy team, or at the very least is a contributor in some way, shape or form, but not named Fizzy made a YouTube video explaining, hey, we have access to the Slippy VODs that that Ludwig played against. Oh, actually, no, not that Ludwig played against this player, but that somebody else played against this player. And so, therefore, we can verify all the button presses. And look, Ludwig was right. This player in question was indeed cheating with macro keys. And here's why, and explained it in such amazing detail. It was like, oh, I just got chills. <laughs> Now, there's a new video that this person made, Alt4, nope, Alt-F4 on YouTube, highly underrated. Even in just two videos, I feel like Alt-F4 should have like a bajillion more subscribers, but caught cheating at Slippy Online, faking lag. That's right. Somebody insisted that their match in tournament, that a bracket match was lagging and that the game would have to be replayed or that the set would have to be replayed, something to that effect. And once again, Alt F4 calmly, deliberately, smoothly explained in excellent detail with just the slightest pinch of poetic justice why this player was lying about the fact that the match was lagging. TLDR, the video basically is saying... Because of this amount of rollbacks that occurred in this match, we can reasonably say that there was, in fact, no lag. And in fact, in fact, the person, <laughs> the person who said that the match was lagging, that the game was lagging and that it would have to be replayed, had no rollbacks leading up to the point where they quit out the match. <laughs> <laughs> If my kids were to sleep right now, I would just be laughing so much louder because it's like, oh, this is such bullshit. My match is lagging. Somebody help. And it's like, no, dude, or do that, or you get it. No, my individual, you're lying because in the file, in the slippy file, it said there was no rollbacks whatsoever, which means you were playing as perfect as an online experience as could possibly be played. Oh, it was awesome. Okay. I'm done. Now I'm done. Okay. I'm still smiling so much. This is probably going to keep me up another hour. I just love poetic justice. So all that to say, caught cheating at Slippy Online faking lag by Alt F4 on YouTube. Just go look it up. You will smile the whole way through. And that is all I have. So thank you so much for joining me. We'll catch you next time. Until then, why don't you like subscribe to the YouTube channel or drop a follow on the Twitter or something. Just do something like that. There's your call to action. And break.